This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In uh, celebration, I guess, of this week's UC Radio Network Conference, which will be convened uh, Saturday here at UC Davis. We're pleased to note uh, that we will be going to some of our sister campuses uh, to uh, mine their talent for this radio station. In segment two today, we will finish off uh, the third of our three-part conversation with UC Berkeley professor Peter Dale Scott. Peter Dale Scott's investigations into what he calls deep politics uh, have been some just milestone research in, in p- recent decades. And his current book, The Road to 9-11, Wealth, Empire, and the Future of America, is uh, one we just can't recommend highly enough. Again, in our second segment today, we'll finish off our talk with Peter Dale Scott. And by the way, this interview in its entirety should be available on our website, radioparallax.com as well as the website of Dr. Scott. In segment two, we will also travel to Southern California to speak uh, with the former co-manager of our sister station, KUCI. That would be Dr. Matt Kaplan, who currently is the host of Planetary Radio, the weekly radio show that's sponsored by the Planetary Society. The Planetary Society, of course, is a nonprofit group which is dedicated to promoting the exploration of space, and we've talked to Dr. Bruce Betts from that uh, fine group on, on several occasions, and, and no doubt we'll do so again. If you listen to this show, and we uh, hope you do on a regular basis, you know that uh, we too are very high on going out and exploring the solar system and cosmos. At any rate, uh, we expect a very good second segment today with a little help from our sister UC campuses. Let us now commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in today's case is November 15th. On November 15th, 1492, the Italian explorer Christopher Columbus, in his journal, described an interesting custom which he found among the Indians of Cuba. That would be the use of tobacco. Within a century, this highly addicting drug would become uh, popular back in Europe as well. On this date in 1864, during the American Civil War, Union General William Sherman left Atlanta, Georgia a smoking ruin as he began his famous six-week scorched-earth march to the sea. On November 15th in 1926, the National Broadcasting Company was launched on 24 stations across the U.S. The first program was broadcast from New York City's Waldorf Astoria Hotel and it included remote pickups from Chicago, Illinois, and Kansas. And finally, on November 15th in 1957, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev boasts of Soviet missile superiority and challenged the United States to a missile shooting match. He said in an interview, let's have a peaceful rocket contest, just like a rifle shooting match. The Soviet Union, of course, had just scored back-to-back stunning successes with Sputnik 1, the first artificial satellite, and Sputnik 2, which supposedly put the dog Laika up into Earth orbit. Of course, in a move that would never have passed mustard with the people for the ethical treatment of animals, the uh, Soviets had no provision to bring Laika back once 
she was launched into space. Our quote of the day comes from the aforementioned General William T. Sherman, who once said, If I had my choice, I would kill every reporter in the world. But I'm sure we'd be getting reports from hell before breakfast. Our quip of the day comes from Cyrus Ching, who said, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig likes it. And our joke of the day, which perhaps really should be our quip of the day part two, allegedly comes from Socrates. I can't verify this quote, but allegedly Socrates once said, By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Our statistic of the day comes from the U.S. Congressional Report, which came out earlier this week, which noted that the economic costs to the United States of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan so far total approximately $1.5 trillion. Trillion, with a T. That amount, of course, represents about double the $804 billion that the White House has spent or requested to wage these wars through 2008, but the congressional study estimated the conflict's hidden costs, which included higher oil prices, the expense of treating wounded veterans, and interest payments on the money borrowed to pay for the wars. We should have more to say about that a little bit later. From the oddball file, which I think we should insert at this point, uh, I noted in the Sacramento Bee on Tuesday, there's a book by British journalist Ben Schott, which is titled Schott's Miscellany 2008. Uh, and one list which struck me was the most influential people who never lived, which Mr. Schott listed as the Marlboro Man, George Orwell's Big Brother, King Arthur, Santa Claus, and Hamlet. This is the kind of list we would have expected to appear in uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. And we're, we're pleased to note that we have secured an interview with Uncle John, which uh, should take place uh, in early December. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this week was a good week for speaking up after passengers aboard a Sri Lankan Airlines flight from London to Colombo rebelled and refused to let the plane take off because it was missing a jagged five-foot section of one wing. Apparently, the piece had been sheared off in an accident the previous day. For their part, Sri Lankan Airlines insisted that the plane could have flown safely, explaining that the tips of the wings, quote, are purely for aerodynamics, unquote. Now, uh, as, a, as a private pilot, I would have to point out to the Sri Lankan officials that aerodynamics aren't just a frivolity when it comes to uh, getting a plane off the ground and keeping it there. But there is a lesson, I think, for all of us there. You look out the window, you see a five-foot section of wing missing. That is certainly a time not to be shy. Speak up. All right, uh, apparently last week was unfortunately a bad week for believers in Bigfoot. They had announced that a photo taken by deer hunters in the Pennsylvania woods proved that the legendary beast really exists. 
It appears to be a juvenile Sasquatch, said Paul Mahita of the Bigfoot Research Organization. Pennsylvania state game officials said, on the contrary, that the creature in the photo was clearly a bear with a severe case of mange. And uh, finally, uh, this week and last week were evidently a couple of ugly weeks for common sense in American schools. Because apparently last week, a seven-year-old New Jersey boy was suspended from school for drawing a stick figure holding a gun. Shirley McDevitt was apparently told by the school that her son Kyle's doodle violated the school's zero-tolerance policy on guns and that his suspension was a reflection of the times we live in. Kyle was suspended for only one day, but his mother asked, uh, is it the time we live in when a little boy can't draw a picture? And uh, part two of this ugly week four saga would come from the fact that an Alabama student this week was disciplined for hugging a friend whose parent had just died. Leah Muir said her daughter was chastised and sent to detention for the hug, which evidently contravened that school's zero-tolerance policy on physical contact between students. Officials at uh, Prattville Junior High said they were merely enforcing school rules. But uh, Muir says the school needs to use some common sense. And after hearing about those two news stories, you have to wonder if there is any in American schools. Anyway, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. file, we have the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court this week halted an execution in Mississippi, signaling an unofficial moratorium on the death penalty until the court rules on a Kentucky case involving lethal injection. The court's going to attempt to determine whether lethal injections constitute cruel and unusual punishment. And we're here to tell you, they do not. But then we're relying on science, medicine, and a little bit of common sense. There's no telling what the Supreme Court's going to rely upon. And uh, we have uh, three brief items from the good news file. From Atlanta, Gennaro Wilson, who was a 17-year-old, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for having consensual sex with a 15-year-old girl, was finally freed last week after Georgia's highest court ruled that his punishment was cruel and unusual and in that case that was the correct ruling evidently when uh, Wilson was convicted uh, the crime was punishable by a mandatory 10-year sentence everyone agreed that the sentence was wrong but no one could figure out how to write it well thankfully they figured out a way good news from Germany German Chancellor Angela Merkel said last week there would be no speed limit on the Autobahn as long as she was in charge. The Chancellor made the remark after the Social Democrats, a partner in her government, adopted a platform calling for a speed limit of 80 miles per hour on German highways. 
While these social Democrats argued that the limit would fight climate change by helping curb emissions of greenhouse gases, Merkel pointed out that traffic jams are at least as harmful to the climate as speeding. And a final good news item from Stony Brook, New York. When a sack containing $15,000 in cash tumbled off the back of an armored car and then burst open when cars ran over it, releasing a blizzard of fluttering dollar bills to the wind, police on the, on the scene uh, were concerned about the possibility of people going berserk trying to gather it all up. As it happened, instead of stuffing the cash in their pockets and running away, bystanders chased down thousands of the bills and handed them over to the driver while cops closed off the road. Apparently, all but $128 was returned. Anyway, let's take a moment to go back to some bad news here. The item about the hidden costs of the wars that we're waging is up to $1.5 trillion. If you divide that out amongst the citizenry, it'll turn out that uh, the average U.S. family of four is spending $20,000 to wage war. The congressional report argued that war funding is diverting billions of dollars away from productive investment by American businesses in the United States. It also says that the conflicts are pulling reservists and National Guards away from their jobs, resulting in economic disruptions for U.S. employers. We've uh, been pointing out the ungodly sums being spent uh, ineffectively, uh, we might add, on wars in, uh, in Asia. But uh, Robert Scheer, in his uh, syndicated column on October 31st, uh, said it better than anybody, I think. Said Scheer in his column, What a boon 9-11 has been for the merchants of war, who this week announced yet another quarter of whopping profits made possible by George W. Bush's pretending to fight terrorism by throwing money at outdated Cold War-style weapon systems. While pretending that we're in a war against a conventionally armed and imposing military enemy, we are, of course, in nothing of the sort. The so-called war on terror is a propaganda farce that draws resources away from serious efforts to counter terrorism to reward the corporations that profit from high-tech weaponry that has little, if anything, to do with the problem at hand. As Columbia University professor Richard Betts points out in Foreign Affairs magazine, with rare exceptions, the war against terrorists cannot be fought with army tank battalions, air force wings, or naval fleets, the large conventional forces that drive the defense budget. The main challenge is not killing the terrorists, but finding them. And the capabilities most applicable to this task are intelligence and special operations forces. It does not require half a trillion dollars worth of conventional and nuclear forces. Scheer quotes Lawrence Korb, Ronald Reagan's Assistant Secretary of Defense, saying, Like the 1980s, we're spending billions of dollars on weapon systems designed to fight the Soviet superpower. To which Scheer added, Thanks to bin Laden and Bush's exploitation of war on terror hysteria, the taxpayer's been hoodwinked into paying for a sophisticated military arsenal to fight a Soviet enemy that no longer exists. The Institute for Policy Studies calculated last year that the top 34 CEOs of the defense industry have earned a combined billion dollars since 9-11, to which Scheer added they should give bin Laden his cut. And we need to talk about what's going on over in Pakistan with Pervez Musharraf basically becoming a, a complete absolute ruler. 
But we don't have time to go into that today. So let's just end our first segment here by uh, getting a word from our old friend, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about something more confusing than trying to do calculus in a solar-powered calculator in the front seat of a high-speed roller coaster at night wearing gloves. Yeah, I'm talking about George Bush's Mideast nuclear policy. Now let me get this straight. We've divided the world into two separate groups. The countries that we deem sober and sensible enough to handle the whole wielding of the nuclear weapons thing in the mature manner of a good democratic state like us and the countries that still allow barnyard animals to board airplanes. And how do we resolve the borderline calls? You know, the countries whose national airlines still allow chickens as checked baggage? Well, that's easy. The ones that we like can have them, and the ones that we don't can't. It's that simple. We get to tell the rest of the world they can't have what we've had for 60 years based solely on whether we consider them responsible. Which means, of course, Israel, Pakistan, India, sure, yeah, they could have nuclear weapons. Why? Because they're our friends. That's why we get invited to their birthday parties, and they give us ice cream. Sounds an awful lot like one of those do-as-we-say-not-as-we-do kind of deals, if you ask me. Don't forget, we're the only ones who ever used an atom bomb in anger. Which gives us the authority to say to Syria, Iraq, and Iran, No, I'm sorry, you never had us over to your house for cake. No nukes for you. Besides, everybody knows their only reason to live is to destroy the delicate balance of peace existing in the Mideast right now. Yes, that delicate balance of peace that we've been so instrumental in fostering. Destabilize the Mideast, heaven forbid, just when things are going so well, too. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Let's take a short break, after which we will finish our conversation with UC Berkeley's Peter Dale Scott and go to Southern California to speak with Matt Kaplan of UC Irvine and the Planetary Society. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 